A New Testament reading this morning. We continue in the book of John, chapter 9, verses 24 through 34. And we, we've seen already in chapter 9 how Jesus healed the blind man who had been born since birth. The Pharisees then questioned him and questioned his parents, and apparently that wasn't enough, so they called him back a second time. So beginning with verse 24. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Well, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. And our sermon text this morning is in Psalms chapter 27 and verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Amen. Good to see everybody. Thanks for coming back to hear the rest of the Education Sunday message. Um, Last week, we saw the vital importance of teaching God's people and teaching the rise, uh, the rising generations. And so we uh, did an overview of the whole psalm. Today we're going to focus in, we're going to home in on, on verse 11. Um, but we did an overview of the whole psalm last week, and we saw three basic qualities that we long to see in our own lives and in the lives of those that we teach. You know, Jesus gave us the great commission to make disciples, teaching them, Uh, all the things that I've commanded. And last week in verses 1 to 6 of Psalm 27, we saw the first quality that we want in our disciples and in ourselves, and that was a courageous and bold confidence that can be seen, that's evident to others, okay? In verses 7 to 12, the second quality we want to see, a total and absolute dependence on God, who is our strength. Verses 7 to 12 are basically a, a prayer of, of, of David. And then in the psalm ends in 13 and 14 with the third quality that we want to see in ourselves and in those we are teaching, uh, a strong and living hope that flows from a complete and total and absolute trust in God. So if you were not with us last week, I encourage you to go to the website and listen to the details that we added to each of these points. These are the three qualities that we are begging God to give to our rising generations. 
This is what we want for our kids. This is what we want for our grandchildren. This is what we want for every child at Rockdale Community Church. This is what we desire for ourselves, okay? We long for them and for us to be courageous, bold, confident Christians who recognize their absolute and total dependence on God. Apart from Him, we are nothing, and whose hope is strong and unwavering, and who are trusting solely and totally in Him. And we want to be Christians who are living out the truths of our faith. Not just talk, but we walk it, okay, on a regular and consistent basis. So this is why, as we said last week, we must teach. So now today, uh, we zero in on, on this verse 11. One of the reasons that we need to teach is because of our enemies. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. So let's pray together. Father, teach us. Teach us. Please teach us because of our enemies. Teach us and help us to stand strong, having put on the whole armor of God. Help us stand firm against those who hate us, against those who hate you. Give us strength, Father. Teach us today for our good and your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so verse 11, uh, we see one of David's many heart cries that we read throughout the Psalms. He says, teach me your way, O Lord. Teach me your way. Now, well, here's what's interesting. The verb there, teach, is in the imperative mood. We know what that is because we've pointed that out in many other places in Scripture before, uh, during this time of preaching and teaching. Uh, it's a command. It's a command. So think about that for a moment. Okay? David is speaking to God. And he's giving God a command. <laughs> it's interesting. David is commanding God to teach him. Now, have you ever thought about commanding God to do anything? <laughs> He's the commander, right? He's the one that gives us the imperatives. He's the one that gives us the commands. So we usually don't think this way. But this is what we see here. So what does this reflect? What does this communicate to us? I think since it's the creature, David, giving the command to the Creator, God, that order is usually reversed, okay? But since it, this is what it is here, I believe it communicates to us David's desperation. His, his dependence, which this segment of the psalm, verses 7 through 12, is illustrating to us. A reborn heart that says basically this, God, if I'm going to make it in this wicked world, if I'm going to stand against my enemies, if I'm going to fight the good fight of faith, 
and not cower in fear. You have got to teach me. You've got to do this, God. Please do this. In all humility, I'm commanding you to teach me. Because without that, I'm going to fall away. I'm going to wimp out. I'm going to cower. I'm going to, I may not even be saved. You've got to equip me. You must do this. So in all humility, Father, I'm coming to you and demanding that you teach me. Now, what does the New Testament call this in the book of Hebrews? It calls this boldly approaching God's throne of grace, right? It's reflected in the inspired words of the unknown writer of Hebrews in in Hebrews 4.16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We draw near with confidence. Some translations say with boldness. It's the confidence that was expressed in verses 1 to 6 of Psalm 27, right? So David approaches God's throne boldly with confidence, demanding God to teach him. And this cry of David's heart for learning reflects the need for us to answer God's commission to teach. Okay? And we are begging God to put that desire in the hearts of our kids. Instead of disinterested apathy, instead of sluggishness to spiritual things, instead of constantly falling asleep in church, we long for them to earnestly and sincerely say, please teach us. Please, Dad. Please, Mom. Please, Pastor. Please, Sunday school teacher. Please teach us. Instead of continuously looking for reasons to walk out of church, bathroom, water, check their phone, etc., whatever. Our kids are glued and attentive to the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. That's what we're begging for. That's what we're begging for. And here's the catch. That's the part we can't do, right? That's the part we can't do. That's the part We are begging, i.e., maybe even demanding God to do. We, oh yeah, we can tell them to wake up in church, which we should be doing. Don't let that go on, dads. We should be doing that. We can tell them to do that, and they might obey that physically, but they might still be zombies sitting there like crash test dummies. We can't change their heart. We can't raise them from the dead. 
We can't arouse them from their spiritual stupor. We can't make them truly glad and joyfully eager to be here. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. We are totally and absolutely dependent upon God to do that. And we never cease begging him to do that. We keep begging Jesus to say to them, Lazarus, come forth. And when he does that, we're ready. We're joyfully and gladly ready to begin removing the grave clothes of their former life. How? By teaching them. By teaching them. You know the answer to that. By teaching them the things of God, the truths of God, the precepts of God, the holy standards of God, the precious word of God. So that may David's heart cry be our heart cry, both for ourselves and for our children. May we constantly come to God, teach us, teach us, please, God, teach us. Because we got enemies we need to fight. Teach us how to do it. And may that be the heart cry of our children, every one of them, every one of them. So what are these enemies? What are these enemies? What are our modern-day enemies? Note how our focus first ends. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Not because I want to be smart, not because I want to know a lot of things. I mean, we want to grow in knowledge, yes, but the emphasis here in this psalm is because of the battle we're in. Teach us because we're in a war, a spiritual war. Teach us, Lord, because of the enemies that we have. We need to be taught. Our kids need to be taught. All God's people need to be taught because we have enemies. And we need to be taught how to fight the good fight of faith against these enemies. How to put on the whole armor of God. And we actually did that with our youth at a weekend in the Word a couple of years ago. Just went through Ephesians 6, 10 through 18 all weekend. How to put on that armor. We need to be taught how to stand against the enemies that hate our guts and hate Jesus. We need to be taught the devil's schemes. I think 1 Corinthians 11, I think it is, Paul says, we are not ignorant of the devil's schemes. So to fight our enemies, we've got to know who they are. Now, we, we know we've got the three broad categories that the Bible gives us, you know, the world, the flesh, the devil. Those are our three broad categories. The, the world, the world system is always going to be the enemy of God. Our flesh fights against our growth and holiness. We've got to constantly mortify it and put it down. Okay? And the devil. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may, he may devour. Word means harass, intimidate, silence, cancel. So let's, let's go from those broad categories that the Bible gives us and come to some specifics today in our time. What are our current day enemies, the ones that surround us? Let me give you a few examples. Obviously, we've got the pro-abortion people. Uh, we've got teachers' unions and school boards that push critical race theory. The, the teaching that 
uh, because of the color of your skin, you're an oppressor or you're an oppressed person. Can't change it. Your skin color determines that. There's the trans movement. And all of it's made up words and classifications, complete with a sitting Supreme Court justice that can't can't or won't tell us what a woman is. I love what Allie Beth Stuckey said, and I encourage you to, to take heed. Reminder, every time you use preferred pronouns, you are validating a movement that is permanently sterilizing and deforming minors and allowing men into girls' restrooms. You're not being polite or empathetic. You're being complicit in one of the greatest evils our culture faces. Then there's drag queen, drag queen story hour for kids at the public library, which carry books like Jack, Not Jackie, and I'm Not a Girl, books that promote stories of transgender children. Department stores like Target marketing chest binders for girls and tucking underwear for boys as young as age four. Doctors who brag about mutilating young boys and girls with gender reassignment surgery. Boy, that's, a, that, that's got the stench of sulfur on it. That's straight from the garden, right? You will be like God. Evil entities that want to steal our children's hearts, minds, and bodies. Military websites and infomercials that focus on diversity and not how to kill the enemy and protect our nation. Government and health officials who will close down churches during COVID but will say nothing about avoiding certain sexual behavior to slow down the monkeypox. Eric Erickson said they closed churches and schools and left open marijuana dispensaries and liquor stores. They cut us off from our grandparents, but won't cut off gay orgies over stigmatization. Stigmatization. Not to mention the approval uh, government health officials gave to all the riots and protests during the summer of 2020. Erickson goes on to say there is no reason to listen to public health officials again. Emphasis on public. You got a doctor you trust? God bless you. Be thankful. You got a family doctor that you can put your faith in? Good for you. But public health officials, why should we trust them? This is the world in which we live, gang. We could have named many more. We could be here all day listening to examples of godliness, godlessness and the demonic insanity that surround us. And I know what some of you might be saying. But you're being political in the pulpit. No, no, no. No, I'm really not. Think about those issues I mentioned. Every single one of them is an attack on God's basic design for humanity. Sanctity of life, foundation of the family, marriage between a man and a woman, the role of government, the church, the freedom to worship God openly as he has designed, etc. Beloved, it's not political. And if you're thinking that, you're listening to the enemy. It's not political. It's spiritual. And the enemy wants us to think it's political so that God's people will ignore it. 
Teach us, O Lord, because of our enemies. Our enemies are smart. They're devious. They are spawned from the father of lies. God's church needs to wake up. Here's a couple more blatant examples. Those of you who get World Magazine, you may have seen this article uh, entitled, The Medical Establishment is Failing Children. Subtitled, Riding Each Progressive Wave and Failing to Acknowledge Reality. The AAP, which is, uh, let's see, what is that? The uh, American Academy of Pediatrics recently released a book entitled Uology. There it is, Uology. I'll send you this entire article. I had a hard time, I don't want to read you the whole article, but I really, it's so much, I had a hard time picking out the things I wanted to point out to you, so I'll send you the article this week. But uh, the uh, American Academy of Pediatrics released a, a book entitled Uology, a puberty guide for everybody. Everybody, two words, everybody. At first glance, parents may think it, it, it a harmless booklet, but a deeper look showcases dangerous and unscientific gender ideology at work. Even the basic tenets of language are misleading. In one passage, the book notes how some kids are assigned the wrong sex at birth. <laughs> Oliver, previously Olivia, is transgender, the book says, and he belongs in the boys' locker room as much as any of us do. The AAP book represents a higher-level effort to indoctrinate kids as scholars and medical professionals intentionally alter definitions and create new unfounded concepts out of thin air. That's what we said last week. These are fake terms. These are made-up terms. They whitewash biological realities to support a radical plan that has no association with truth or rationality. The Journal of American Medicine is pushing puberty blockers. The American Medical Association says transgender care for minors is not extreme or experimental. Really? The Pediatric Indoctrine Society says minors should be supported in living in their desired gender, gender role. You shall be like God. You call what sex you are. God created them male and female? Nah, flush that. These associations and journals are so scared of being called bigoted that they are willing to say whatever it takes to avoid reputational harm. Medical ethics has taken a nosedive in the 21st century, surrendering to the latest progressive demands. In uology, the writers are desperate to avoid gendered language. They characterize boys and girls as having, quote, sperm-making bodies or baby-growing bodies, end quote. Medical professionals pledge. What's, what's the first pledge of the medical profession? Do no harm. 
do no harm. That's down the toilet. Yet when they insist that biological reality doesn't exist and allow children to alter their bodies permanently, even before their brains are fully formed, they indeed do great harm. What can we call such action but evil? The devil has found a foothold in modern America. Teach us, O Lord. Wake us up because of our enemies. Listen to this one from another article in World. This is from the state of California. Senate Bill 107, which was passed out of a California Assembly Committee last Wednesday, would give the state, quote, temporary emergency jurisdiction, end quote, over a child if, quote, the child has been unable to obtain gender-affirming health care or gender-affirming mental health care, end quote. In other words, if parents do not support a child's gender transition, the state of California could declare a, quote, emergency and take custody of the child. It's hard to overstate the sweeping revolution such a situation presents Christians and others unwilling to go along with radical gender theory. Listen, beloved. Remember what they told us in 2015 when same-sex marriage was declared a legal right by the Supreme Court and was to be protected. Remember what they told us. Do you remember? No big deal. This is, this is all we want. Just recognize our right to marry a person of the same sex. Recognize our, our right to marry the person we love. This has nothing to do with children or families. They lied. <laughs> they lied. It's always been about wrecking the family. It's always been about that. It's always been about wrecking the foundation for a functioning society. It's always been about attacking and bringing down the first institution created by God in the garden. Satan hates the family. He hates it. It's always been about stealing the kids. Think about it. Think about it. Just ponder it. Just think about it. Logically. How does a same-sex couple have a family? How do they keep the agenda going? They have to steal the kids. They have to. They have to indoctrinate them. They have to draw them away from God's good and wise and loving design, which enables societies to flourish. And I have a question, and I have to give acknowledgement and a hat tip to Steve Dace for pointing this out to me in one of his podcasts. If a person is born a homosexual, 
as they claim. That's the claim, right? I'm born this way. Wasn't a choice I made. I'm born this way. If that's true, why do they have to groom the kids? If you're born that way, why do you have to influence kids toward that agenda? Why? Why? If you're born that way, why did you have to teach them about it? It's a serious question. It's a valid question. Speculate with me. Satan's probable checklist for America. Okay? Why is Satan going after America? Why is that? Did you know that 80% of gospel support comes from this country? 80% of support for all the missionaries, all the ministries, parachurch ministries, missions all over the globe, 80% of it from America. Obvious target for the enemy, right? So Satan's probable checklist, okay? One. Destroy the notion of the permanence of marriage. Check. No-fault divorce in the 60s. Number two, wreak havoc on the sanctity of marriage. Check. Free love movement of the 60s and 70s. If you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. I won't sing that for you, okay? Number three. Trash God's definition of marriage. Check. Obert failed decision of 2015. Number four, attack the biblical view of husband and wife wife roles. Check. Feminist movement and the portrayal of men and fathers as absolute idiots and dunces on TV sitcoms and movies and having women constantly beating up men in the movies that we watch. New target. Those have been accomplished. Those first four. Number five, new target. Destroy the truth of humans being created male and female. The ultimate denial of God. The ultimate rebellion against His design. The ultimate attack against his created created order. And use the public schools to get this in the minds of impressionable kids. That's the goal of this satanic, God-denying movement. So just remember Ephesians 6 now. What does it clearly tell us? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. As Steve Dice would say, it's demonic, bro. It's demonic. It is anti-God. It is more than anti-God. It's hate God and everything about Him. It's hate His truth, hate His Son, hate His people, hate His church, hate His teachings, hate everything. Now, sadly... Those are the enemies without, but we ain't through. 
with the enemies. Sadly, in addition to all the secular enemies outside the church, there are enemies within the church. The wolves in sheep's clothing who stand in front of congregations in their sweater vests and skinny jeans and say things like this. This is a direct quote addressed to unknown pastors who are striving to teach the truth of God's Word. People are far more interested in what works than what's true. I hate to burst your bubble, but virtually nobody in your church is on a truth quest, including your spouse. How about it, Amy? Watching at home, coughing your head off. How about it? Amy, are you listening? Okay. This guy says, including you, the pastor's wife, you're not on a truth quest. They are on happiness quests. Really? Really? What about it? This well-known megachurch pastor, in quotes, goes on to tell us unknown pastors who are trying to do what it seems clear God's Word is telling us to do. It seems clear to me that God's Word tells me to teach. (laughs) That just seems clear to me. I mean, it was Jesus' commission, right? Come on, what's the deal? He says this, that I I need to, quote, Face the reality of the world we live in and adjust your sails. Culture's like the wind. You can't stop it. You shouldn't spit in it. But if like a good sailor, you will adjust your sails, you can harness the winds of culture to take your audience, audience, audience. Get that word? Okay, audience, not church. Take your audience where they need to go. Maybe that's the problem. I just saw this. Maybe that's one of the problems. This guy's looking at you as an audience. Not as the church, not as the bride that Jesus laid his life down for. You're just an audience. You can harness the winds of culture to take your audience where they need to go. Then he says this, if people are more interested in being happy, then play to that. And here's the piece, the resistance of this quote. Jesus did. Really? Really? Jesus played to people's happiness. Okay, we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. Okay, don't leave me now. Charles Spurgeon said this. I love Charles Spurgeon. He knew you were the church. He knew you were Christ's bride. He knew you were more than an audience. Spurgeon said, quote, It is sorrowfully true that in many places the enclosures of the church have been destroyed. The line of demarcation between the church and the world has almost vanished. And godless men fill the sacred offices. 
Yep. Yep. Right out of Satan's playbook. So let's close by pondering the statement that Mr. Megachurch Pastor made, that Jesus played to people's desire to be happy. Now, i got to confess, I missed that in my reading of the Gospels. I totally missed that. I guess I was too busy wrestling with the things that I did read. Things like when Jesus told the rich young ruler that he was going to have to sell everything and give it away if he was going to have to have eternal life. Or when Jesus told his followers that in order to be his disciples, they were going to have to deny themselves, take up their cross, symbol of death, death to self, and follow him. And when he told the guy that, that, remember the guy that wanted to first go bury his father, And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead and come follow me now. Playing to happiness? Or when he told his disciples that they would be hated and persecuted because of their relationship with him and they would ultimately ultimately be killed. But good news, not one hair of your head will perish. Or in the book of Revelation, Jesus dictates seven letters to seven churches through the Apostle John. In those letters, he says things like this. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. 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 Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. Ooh, that'll make you happy, right? That you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Wait, I thought it was supposed to be happiness. Or, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you. Where Satan dwells. Playing to people's happiness. Hmm. Now, refresh my memory. Isn't that exactly what the serpent did in the garden? Exactly. You will not surely die. Living forever would tend to make somebody happy, wouldn't it? Or you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I don't know about you, but omniscience, man, that'd, be, that'd make me happy. I'd love to know everything. That way, when you came to me with questions, I could tell you the answer, and you could leave without any doubt that's what you need to do. Basically, let, let's, 
Go back to the garden together and replay the scenario with a little bit of speculation, but I don't think it's off base. Basically, the serpent, the devil, was saying to Adam and Eve, listen, guys, what God said about that fruit, the fruit on that tree over there, not a big deal. Not important. Come on, it's one tree out of hundreds in the garden. It's not that big a deal, okay? So get off your uh, persnickety, nitpicking horse of exact truth. It's just not that big a deal. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, it's true that God said that. But, but guys, truth doesn't matter. What matters is you, your happiness. You're, you're not on a truth quest. Let's, make, let's, let's go ahead and get that down pat now. You're not on a truth quest. Truth quest. Truth quests are a waste of time. Because you'll never know all the truth. You'll never get there. So it's a waste of time. Truth quests. This is the devil speaking. Okay, remember who's speaking here. Okay, we're, we're role-playing. I'm role-playing the serpent. Okay? Truth quests are for the arrogant folks who think they're better and smarter than everybody else. God created you to go on a happiness quest. And in the future, let me just let, let you in a little bit of my plan here. In the future, I'm going to use loving and empathetic and famous self-proclaimed pastors to spread this message to thousands upon thousands of unsuspecting and soft-headed sheep. And it's so great. These guys, these guys will round them up for me. I won't even have to chase them. Like shooting fish in a barrel. <laughs> They'll be all rounded up in those big old mega churches. So Eve, set the standard for your soon-to-be-fallen children. Pursue happiness. Adam, buddy, you keep sitting there. You keep sitting there unengaged and sheepishly silent. And set the standard for future do-nothing noodle-backbone husbands. As you leave your wife, the weaker vessel, unprotected and on her own, on her own. Go ahead, Eve. Take, eat, and be happy. And don't forget to give Adam a bite. He'll take it. Look at him over there. He's ready to follow you. Because he was already fallen when he didn't protect you. And we know the result of that historical encounter. Because of that initial quest for happiness by our first parents and their disdain for what God had said and their willingness to listen to the serpent and their lack of trust in what God had said 
and their denial of the truth of God's authoritative word. Each and every one of us need Jesus desperately. Mr. Skinny Jeans, he thinks that virtually all of you here today are on happiness quests rather than truth quests. And he wants to be your pastor. He said that in the article. He said he would love to pastor my children. Mr. Pleated Khakis thinks you care nothing or very little about the truth of God. And he's happy to stoke that attitude. Just go to, the, go to his church and get it stoked. Mr. Sweater Vest thinks that Jesus came to make sure everybody is happy. Can you imagine Paul reading that from a, in a jail cell? He thinks you want Jesus to be like that. That's the Jesus you want. The make everybody happy Jesus. So my question for you this morning, beloved church family, who is much more than an audience. Is he right in his assessment? Is he right? Maybe he is. I don't think he is. Only you and God know. Only you can answer that question. But let me make something perfectly clear to you today, especially to our visitors. I believe our I'm confident our long-term members already know this. Heck, I'm confident even our new members know it because we hammer it in our membership class. Listen to me carefully. If somebody's next to you sleeping, nudge them, wake them up, listen, listen to this. We will not play to your happiness here. Okay? Please understand that. Please know that. Visitors, know what you're getting into if you sign up for the membership class and eventually join. Know what, know what to expect. We will not play to your happiness here. Now, don't leave before the benediction because I've got a punchline for that in the benediction, okay? We will not play to your happiness. What we will do, we will open this book week after week. And we will strive to teach the truth that it reveals to us. We will play to the glory of God. We will play to the exaltation of Jesus. And we will trumpet His Lordship and our deep need to submit to it because of our enemies. And we will preach Christ and Him crucified, our only hope. We have no king but Jesus. So listen. Listen now. When the smoke is all cleared and all the chips have fallen and the king of kings makes his glorious return, riding his white horse with a sharp sword in his mouth to strike down the nations with eyes flaming like fire, John the apostle tells us that he will tread the winepress of the fury of of the wrath of God Almighty. Listen to Psalm 92, verses 5 to 9. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. 
The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this. That though the wicked sprout like grass, even in our churches, I added that. Though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord. Yeah, and our enemies, the ones we need to be taught to stand against. Behold, your enemies, O Lord. They shall perish. And all evildoers will be scattered. And guess what? Guess what? All the plexiglass pulpits of all the forked tongue fake pastors who played to people's happiness instead of to the glory of God revealed in His sanctifying truth and who went with the culture instead of with Christ will not be standing. They will not be standing. But the throne of the Lamb will. Though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. And the Word of God will still be standing. It is eternal in the heavens. Behold, your word is fixed. And the church that Christ is building, the true church, true church will be standing. And I pray with all my heart, with every fiber of my being, that you will be standing with that church. To all our young people, listen up for about two minutes. Listen up especially our teenagers, which is not a category in the Bible. It's children and then men and women. So teenagers, I'm throwing you in the men and women category, biblically, okay? So you listen up. Please listen. Parents, if your kid's sleeping, wake them up right now for these last couple of minutes. You're here for such a time as this. Just like Esther, you are here, you are here, you've been created, hopefully given new birth. I pray that's true. If not, I pray it will happen today. But you are here in this time in redemptive history for such a time as this. You are here to be prepared to take the baton from us old folks. And one day lead the church through what may be very dark times. It's probably going to be worse for you. So you need to be serious about your relationship with Jesus now. Now. Don't wait. Now. Teach me, O oh Lord, because of the enemies. 
that are getting stronger and stronger every day unless revival comes. And we're begging God for that, right? But unless it comes, it's going to get worse. So dear young people, young adults, young men and women, be ready. You need to be serious now. Yeah, oh yeah, have fun. I'm not saying don't have fun. Have fun. Have fun with your Christian friends. But that's another thing. Know who you're hanging around. Know who's influencing you. And get your heads out of the screens. Get your heads out of the phones. And fix your eyes on Jesus. And get ready to run the race. For his glory. And the good of the people that he loves and has died for. You need to be ready. Please hear your preacher. Please hear, hear your preacher. You're not too young to start getting serious about your walk with Christ. You need to be pleading with God now to teach you. Because the enemies who hate you abound. Your teachers love you. Your parents love you. Your preacher loves you. Your Sunday school teacher loves you. Your enemies hate you. And they will fool you. And they will lie to you. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And hear what Charles Spurgeon says to you. I wish that young people would aspire to live brave lives for the God of Israel. I would that for the truth of God, goodness, and the eternal glory, they would be ready to rise to the measure of their destined hour. Why should we all be ordinary people? Is there not room for a few downright devoted beings who will lift their hands to the Lord and never go back? If self-sacrifice is needed, let us make it. If someone is needed to bear testimony for the truth of God in this almost apostate nation, let us cry, here I am. Here I am. Send me. Let's pray together. Father, teach us because of our enemies. Teach our kids to fight the enemy. Get them ready, Father. Please, get them ready. Get them ready to stand and fight the good fight. No more sluggishness. No more apathy. No more addiction to screens. No more addiction to video games. Lift their heads, Father, and focus their gaze on the one who died for them. Please, God, teach us because of our enemies. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.